0: The title of this talk this morning is called The Dharma of Sisyphus. As you may know, Sisyphus is about a Greek myth, but we'll come to that in a minute. I'll sort of let you in on how I came to this theme. Um, this morning when we were doing our morning sitting that first hour, um, I decided to go back to the basics of doing breath counting. So I did breath counting for a whole hour so as you know, with breath counting, you can go, breathe out one, breathe out two, breathe out three, up to 10, back to one again, one, two, three, up to 10, back to one again. And it reminded me of the story of Sisyphus. Um, if you don't know the story, let me remind you. Um, it's a Greek myth and it's based on the story of a man who was the king of Corinth. And he was a very arrogant king full of self-aggrandizement um cunning craftiness deceit and uh, for his sins he was imprisoned in hades for eternity and his task was to roll this boulder up a hill this huge boulder up a hill and when it got up to the top it went back down again and then he had to push it up to the top again and it went back down again and he had to do this for eternity right so as I was sitting there counting from one to ten, felt like Sisyphus, you know, one, two, three, four, up to ten, down again. And up you go, right? For eternity. Seems like an eternity. And um, Joko gave up, it's one of the chapters of one of her books on Sisyphus, and she says that when um, Sisyphus becomes one with rolling the stone up and it coming down again, then he's, he's in a state of peace. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to expand on that a little bit more. Now, um, the um, existentialist Albert Camus wrote a, a book, a philosophical treatise about um, the myth of Sisyphus. And as an existentialist, he saw it as a, a metaphor for... The striving of human beings in a meaningless universe. But it's not as gloomy as all that because at the end of it he says that, um, to quote his exact words, that one must imagine Sisyphus happy, the struggle towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. Mm. Um, similar kind of view to what Joko was saying. Now, very, very interesting issue about Sisyphus, which I discovered, which is very relevant to breath counting and very relevant to our experience of breathing in and out and being very intimate with that day by day, is that there is a speculation, which sounds like a pretty good one, that that Sisyphus is onomatopoeic of the sound of breathing in and breathing out. Sis as you breathe in, as you breathe out. Sisyphus, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? Uh And so it gives even more meaning, you know, to the experience of, uh, of session being the Dharma of Sisyphus. In, out, in, out. And to take it a step further, maybe, um, the cis of Sisyphus, maybe the Sis of Systolic, as well as in systolic heartbeat. Systolic is when you your heart pumps, you know, contracts and pumps the blood through your body. Maybe it's similar to that. Um, but Sisyphus has become a metaphor um, for all kinds of things, um, and uh, it's really. Um, symbolic of the rhythm of life, in a way. So there's a rhythm which really underlies all of our existence, you know, and through our, reflect on it, through all of our thinking lives, through all of our emotional lives, through all of our activity and busyness and everyday life. Two things are happening all the time. You're breathing in and you're breathing out, and your heart is contracting and it's releasing. And it's doing that from the day you were born, through the day, through the night, through every moment of your life, keeping you alive. But we're, we're not usually aware of it. And what happens during session is that we're reduced almost to that. We're reduced, reduced to just being alive. Do you know. So in my, my amusing kind of way, I think of it, I'm sitting there and I'm just a bag that sucks in air and out again. And I'm just a muscle that pumps and releases, pumps and releases, like that, all the time. And that's the nature of life, and that's what we come back to when we do session. Just breathing in, just breathing out, heartbeats, heart relaxes, and on it goes. Now. I don't think many people would like to think of themselves as being reduced to a bag that sucks in air and breathes it out again, right? We've got much greater ideas of ourselves than that. And to come back to my theme of surrender from a previous talk, is that surrendering really is what the essence of obsession is and what it's in life is. And we surrender up all of our vanities when we undertake Zen practice and we surrender up all of our vanities when we do session. And we, have it, we can have certain self-images of ourselves and the most obvious one of, of popular culture is, is physical beauty, do You know, of selfies and so on. And people have a self-image based on their based on their their beauty or their physical appearance. But there's other other self-images that we have as well. And we have images of ourselves being competent, um, moral, um, of having a certain political view in the world, um, of being fair. Um, And last but not least, we can have a self-image of ourselves as being spiritual. And having a self-image of ourselves as being spiritual is probably, probably the stinkiest one of all. <laughs> it really is the stinkiest one of all. And uh, there's a saying in Zen, uh, Zen Kusai or Butsu Kusai, which the Japanese use a lot, and it means to stink of Zen. Right? Really good teaching, that one, to come back to. Mm-hmm. It's when oh I'm one with the universe, man. Do you know? Read these amazing Zen stories and tell them at dinner parties. You know? <laughs> Stinker Zen. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I'm such a nice person. Do you know? I float around, you know, off the ground. It's really stinky. That's the one we really need to let go of. You know. And um, we probably let go of a lot of the other ones, but maybe that's the one we really need to let go of as well. And all of us have something to To surrender. Um, to surrender in the, the bonfire of the vanities, to use that novel's name, including me, having done do you know Zen practice for many, many years. I sit here sometimes and I think, what's next that you've got to surrender up? you know, What have you got to drop now? Because none of us are complete. None of us are fully enlightened like the Buddha. We've all got a way to go. There's something to drop off. There's something that we have to fall into. And um, this brings us to the theme of death too, to life and to death. Um, And the rhythm of life and the in and out of breathing, the contraction and the the release of the heart that it pumps. And also other aspects, all aspects of life you know, also um, the, uh, the sound of the waves coming in flooding and then the sound of the waves going out again. It's kind of like a Sisyphus kind of movement too. Um, and it's been said of the waves coming in and out uh, that the wave coming in it's kind of like in a major scale, which in music is kind of like a happy, happy kind of sound. And then it draws out on a minor scale, which is a kind of a dark or a sad kind of sound. So the nature of the waves coming in and out is like in, bold, happy, out, sad. In, bold, strong, out, sad. And in a sense, that's, that's the rhythm of our life. It's kind of like breathing in. It's kind of like bold, you know, life, breathing out, kind of letting go, passing away. That's the nature of things. So in Zen practice, we're not trying to hold on to happiness. We're just there with the rhythm of life, bold, bright, flowing out again, passing away. In we're with the rhythm of it, we're not trying to hold to the happy side. And there's a lovely poem on this, which I remember from my university days, which I really loved, um, which was by Matthew Arnold, an English poet, and it's called "Dover Beach." And it was written as first, the First World War was about to break out. And Dover Beach, of course, faces the English Channel facing across to, to France and in the in the poem he says listen you hear the grating roar of pebbles which the waves draw back and fling at their return up the high strand begin and cease and then again begin with tremulous cadence slow and bring the eternal note of sadness in that's true. You can you can you can you can feel that. You can hear that if you listen to the waves. But he wrote this at a time of great sadness, when great violence was about to occur. But you could also, as I've done and probably you've done many times before, find a lot of peace just listening to the waves coming in and out. But he's only giving half the story, right? The eternal note of sadness as it goes out. But it's also that eternal note of happiness as it comes in, the brightness. Mm-hmm. And life is just the rhythm between the two of those things and a rhythm of life and death. But our lives are like the clock on the wall. You know, it's just ticking away, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick. <laughs> and there's nothing not tock anymore, right? And when we reflect on it, you know, from the day we were born, our hearts are going, breathing in and out. Millions and millions of times, probably. And then one day, we'll breathe out, and that'll be the last breath. One more contraction of the heart, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then, if we're cremated, we'll be buried. And then the worms will eat us. Right? And as the worms eat our flesh, that energy will be transformed into the beating of their heart. Right, little worm's heart will be beating. You know? We'll live in the worm. And then the bird will come and eat the worm. And the worm's flesh will become the energy of the heartbeat of the bird. And then the bird will sing in the forest. And all, all the thousands of creatures, the insects and us, will hear sound of the bird with the same quivering heart, right, which is the, the life that's in all of us, Do you know, the life and death which is coming and going which Thich Han makes reference to and also the, we don't use the Mokigyo but the Mokigyo beat of the Heart Sutra beat of the heart tok, tok, tok tok of the Heart Sutra and that also comes to an end Now, as a way of ending this talk, this brief talk, um, I remember from um, reading some of the Sufi poets, that they um, uh, often use romantic love um, as a metaphor for the love of God, you know, in their surrender to the love of God. And there was a, in, in reflecting on this theme of surrender, um, for some reason, I remembered a kind of corny love song from back in, the, I think, the 1980s or the nineteen um, the, the eighties or 1990s, which is called Sweet Surrender, and it's written by David Gates. And uh, it starts off like this. Baby, I'm through, running, it's true, but we'll leave the baby out here. <laughs> and we'll put life in instead, right, life so here are the lyrics to the song life i'm through running it's true i'd be a fool to try to escape you maybe i'm beat but oh what a sweet surrender you keep your rights i'll take your nights no one can lose when we turn out the lights tasting defeat but oh what a sweet surrender I'm giving myself up to you, but I didn't really lose at all. I gave the only love I've known and it never hurt me to fall. Now that it's done, so glad you won. I know that our lives have only just begun. No more retreat, only my sweet surrender. So that's what we do we do this practice we fall in love with life, right? Life as it is and the basics of life. Mm -hmm. The Dharma of Sisyphus, thank you.